0: Well, happy Mother's Day indeed. As a part of this church family, I am so blessed to know uh, so many great mothers, those who are mothers to physical children, those who play the role of a spiritual mother, and uh, I just want to say thank you for all that you do. Uh, I would love to invite all of you uh, to join us next Sunday evening for our prayer night. Once a month, we have a prayer night on Sunday evening and next. Uh, Sunday, we're going to be uh, having the opportunity to pray over uh, a few families that are dedicating the children that God has given them to the Lord. Uh, So we'll pray for each of those families and we'll be praying for some other things uh, related to uh, family that evening. And so we would love for you to be here. I also want to mention to you that uh, the last two Sundays of this month, Sunday, May 23rd and Sunday, May 30th, are what we are calling our SEND Sundays. To be clear, I said SEND, S-E-N-D, not S-I-N Sundays. That's a different sermon series altogether. Um, But that'll be on May 23rd and 30th. On the 23rd, we are uh, celebrating and praying for, as we commission Anchor Church in Freeport to launch as a church we're so excited that God has allowed us to play the opportunity uh, and role we have in uh, that church launching and so that church family will be here with us and we'll be praying for them that Sunday and then the next Sunday we will be uh, celebrating those who are graduating high school and and we're commissioning them God is sending them out in the next season of life to live on mission for him and so we'll be celebrating and praying for them on Sunday May 30th we're doing these things focusing on these things because uh, Jesus is our Authority And he says that he has given us the uh, authority to go and make disciples of all the nations. And so we want to just focus on uh, who he is and the role he plays in uh, not only the planting of a church, but in the planting of lives wherever God would have them. Now, there is an authority in all of our lives. Something is playing the role of authority in all of our lives. Perhaps it's a person. Perhaps there's someone who teaches us what we think or guides us, uh, you know, maybe, it, maybe it's mama, right? Like my mama says, happiness comes from rays of sunshine uh, when you're feeling blue. I mean, the mama is the one that tells us uh, what to do or, or another person, or maybe it's tradition. It's the way that I've seen things done or the way that I've done things and, and that past experience is really the authority uh, in my life. Maybe it's reason, it's the way uh, I've been taught to think. Or I've learned to think, and, and so I have these default uh, ways of reasoning that kind of guide everything. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's experiences. Things I've been through or the collective experiences I've had have shaped how I feel, and that's really the authority. Or perhaps it's, it's revelation. Revelation is the word of God being disclosed, revealed to us. And perhaps that's what we would say is our authority. Now, as we think about Jesus, and that's what we're doing as we go through the Gospel of Mark, specifically in Mark chapter 1, what we need to understand is Jesus is the person of God, and he is the revelation of God. He and the Father are one. He is God, and he is God revealed to us. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1 today. And as we look at these verses today in Mark chapter 1, we're going to walk through verse 21 through 28, and then I want to talk about three things that we can see from this text and really what that means for our lives. A period of time happens in between the calling of the disciples, which we talked about last week, and what we read today. So Jesus has probably not been welcomed, uh, or excuse me, he's probably no longer welcomed in his hometown. We'll get there later in Mark. And so he and his disciples set up a new uh, home base for ministry in Galilee, in Capernaum. And we actually have a picture of modern day Capernaum and what is likely exactly where what we're talking about today took place. So let me read Mark chapter one, verse 21 through 28. It says, and they went into Capernaum, And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. God Help these to not just be words on a screen. Help these to not just be words on a page. Help these to not just be words that we hear, but help us to see that you have preserved this for us today so that we would encounter you and we would respond with humility. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 21, it tells us they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Mark likes that word immediately. Here, it reveals the intent and the purpose of Jesus. As they arrive in Capernaum, he gets to work. And so he goes first to the synagogue. The remains of a limestone synagogue, which was built between 100 AD and 400 AD, actually remains visible today in Capernaum. And underneath the remains of this synagogue that was built between 100 and 400 AD are black basalt stones which have been discovered. And this was, these remains are likely the synagogue that we are talking about here in the Gospel of Mark. This is a real historical place. And this is a real event that took place. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. Synagogues did not always have rabbis who would teach in them regularly. There weren't enough rabbis outside of Jerusalem. so. Typically, scribes would teach, but when a visiting rabbi would come to town, they would get excited and, and, and word would spread. It's like if a celebrity preacher came to town, you'd have a crowd of all kinds of different people coming out to hear this teacher. Now, Jesus wasn't one of these rabbis who had built a reputation as being a rabbi, but he certainly had a reputation that was spreading very quickly because of his teaching And because of what was being rumored, at least, to happen as he went from town to town. And so he was welcomed in the synagogue. And verse 22 says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, the scribes and the rabbis pretty much did the same thing. They interpreted the law. They taught the law. But to be a rabbi, you really had to have some experience in this. You had to demonstrate some authority. There were often some other things that had to go along with being a rabbi, and you would develop a following as a rabbi. But again, typically, a rabbi would not teach in all the synagogues outside of Jerusalem. The rabbis would do this. I mean, excuse me, the scribes would do this. And yet when Jesus teaches, even though he's not a rabbi, he teaches as if he has the authority to fully interpret and understand the word of God. In in Luke's gospel, he says that his word possessed authority. In Jesus, we have the word of God. This shows us that in Jesus, we have the word of God. Jesus is the person of God. And Jesus is God revealed. And therefore, when God speaks, when Jesus speaks, it is God's word. It is authority from heaven. But this authority was not just seen in the things that he said, but actually in the actions of his life. Look on in verse 23. It says, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, the word unclean in the Bible and specifically used here is not a medical term. It is a spiritual term. It is referring to someone who, because of their choices, because of their lifestyle and direction, has now been possessed with a spirit that is evil, that is unclean, that is not of God. You can look back on documents from this day and really moving forward through biblical scholarship and understand that there was a distinction between sickness and mental disorders and demon possession. There's a difference. And so they would try to determine the difference because they saw those as two different things. I know that there are some in what they would call a more spiritual crowd who believe that every mental disorder is demon possession. And what I would say to you, with as much gentleness as I can say, is that is stupid. That is wrong. It's not historical Christianity. It's zealousness with bad intentions that believes that to be true. But at the same time, we must recognize that there is the reality of demonic spirits. Now, I'm an American. Almost everything can be explained away. I see things as black and white. I often tend to de-emphasize this, doubt this, not recognize this the way that I should. But I believe, because the Bible says so, and because of what I've experienced, that indeed there is such a thing as spiritual warfare. And there indeed is such a thing as demonic activity. And there is indeed such a thing as unclean spirits. Demons, or these unclean spirits that are being talked about here, apparently a third of them fell in the rebellion with Satan from heaven. Revelation chapter 12 tells us about that. And they report to Satan, Ephesians chapter 6. Some of these demons are free to roam. Some will roam, Revelation 9 tells us. And some will never roam, 2 Peter and the book of Jude tells us. Now, when we read the Bible, we see this increased emphasis and activity on demonic spirits, but only really during the time of Jesus. And so you might read the Old Testament and you might look at today and say, how come we don't see as much demonic activity? Now, I want you to think about something. If there's such a thing as spiritual warfare and God in the flesh is on earth, when do you think the other side would be as most active as possible? And so I believe that's why we see a heightened amount of demonic activity in the time of Jesus. Now, also, what I would say to you is that many scholars believe that there is actually less demonic activity today than there was during this time and before this time because of Jesus' victory and because of the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers, which we'll talk about as we go on. Now, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, says, "...there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, meaning the demons." One error is to believe in their excuse me to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an un, excuse me an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Again, I told you I struggle with this kind of stuff, believing seeing this kind of stuff. But Clinton Arnold, the biblical scholar says, "A servant of Christ can no more avoid demons than a gardener can avoid weeds." If you are doing the work of living for God, you will certainly encounter demonic opposition and activity it's real so it is a mistake to not believe in spiritual warfare in the spiritual world if you want to use that but it's also a mistake to become obsessed with this now, why do people become obsessed with this? Well, I think it's the same reason that people become obsessed with theologi- theology, become obsessed with when the world's gonna end, become obsessed with different styles of how we do church, because if we as believers are so supposed to be sharing the gospel and strengthen each other in the gospel and the way we live our lives, what better tactic than to say, become consumed with this thing that makes you feel like you're being Christ-like but you're really not. Become distracted by these things that take you away from living your life on mission for God. And so I think there's a temptation to get obsessed with all kinds of things that tear us away from the primary mission of Jesus. Now, rabbis came up with four characteristics that described someone who was demon-possessed because people would come to them and say, um... I think my mother-in-law is possessed with a demon. That was common. And maybe I shouldn't have said that on Mother's Day, but, you know, it was common. And so the rabbis would have to, like, say, is she really demon-possessed? Or, or whoever else, my, you know, my friend. And so here are four things they would, they, would, they would use to determine if somebody was demon-possessed. The first would be, are they active at night? Is this person active at night? Are they running about at night because... You know, that's when demonic forces are at work, when things are easier to conceal. Number two, do they hang out in burial places, tombs? Now, to us, we might say, okay, well, there's not a lot of people that hang out around cemeteries, but it wasn't about the fact that it was a cemetery or a burial place. It was that it was a sketchy place, which wasn't policed very well, which was easy to delve into bad things. So, number one, do they hang out at night? And number two, do they try to hang out in sketchy places? Number three, they're immodest. They don't wear a lot of clothes. They're not very modest about how they appear because they don't care about what others think in that regards. And number four, they pretty much destroy and lose everything that is entrusted to them or given to them. That sounds a whole lot more normal. And like it describes a whole lot more people than somebody who's running around going, boogity, 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 you know? And they would really say, I don't mean to make light of that, but they would say those are indications that somebody might be possessed by a demon. Some things that I think could be demon possession are, is sex addiction, is drug addiction, is people who are filled with rage and anger, and possibly even people who are struggling, feeling sad all the time. Now, again, I want to be very clear. There are mental disorders that might cause some of this. So I don't want to downplay that. But I also want to be very clear that there are people who, by their choices and their lifestyle, have given way to unclean spirits, to demon possession, and perhaps are living this way because of that very reason. But either way, Jesus has authority and so when he walks into the synagogue and he teaches and this man with an unclean spirit comes up, he says, what have you to do with us? Now the KJV, the King James Version says, let us alone, but that's not actually what it says. He's saying, what, are you, what have you to do? What is your business with us? He's either referring to the fact that there are multiple spirits in him. I don't think that's true. I think he's probably representing multiple spirits that are at work in the area. And he says, I know who you are, Jesus. You are the Holy One of God. Maybe this is an attempt to gain power because often a tactic in in, in warfare will be to identify your opponent and say, I know what you're going to do. And he knows what Jesus is going to do because he says, as you come to destroy us. Now, I want to pause here and say something. It is simultaneously comforting and discomforting that unclean spirits know who Jesus is and what he is going to do. It is, at the same time, comforting and discomforting that unclean spirits know who Jesus is and what he is going to do. Here's why it's comforting. They know he's going to win. They know Jesus wins. They know the power of Jesus. But here's why it's discomforting. Because James, the the book of James says... Of people, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Where where are they when this takes place? Just to make sure you're paying attention. They're in Capernaum, but where in Capernaum are they? Where are they? Synagogue, thank you. About a third of you paid attention. They're in the synagogue. Don't think that it's not possible That in church this morning, someone is possessed with an unclean spirit. Don't think that it's not possible that someone has lived a life that has allowed Satan to have power in their life and they're here this morning. And they believe Jesus is the Holy One of God. And they believe Jesus will win. But you perhaps have not submitted to Jesus. And here's what happens. Verse 25 says, Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. This is an enforced silence. He's literally saying, be muzzled. You will not have a voice in this man's life and in this place anymore. And verse 26 says, And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region Of Galilee. Here, what takes place in the synagogue in Capernaum is Jesus teaches, not as a scribe who's teaching under the authority of a rabbi, not as even a rabbi, but as one who knows the very word of God and can discern it and communicate it. But not only is Jesus' authority on display in the way that he teaches, but Jesus' authority is on display because he has commanded this unclean spirit to come out and it comes. and as we understand the authority of Jesus, and I know we might not fully understand or fully agree on demonic forces and how those are at work, but we understand the authority of Jesus, and as we think about the authority of Jesus, I want to emphasize three things and talk about what that means for us. First, everyone and everything is under the authority of Jesus. Everyone and everything is under the authority of Jesus. There is an authority in our lives. What is it? What is the authority in our lives that is guiding us, directing us, is where we place our security? And the reason you need Jesus to be the authority in your life is because the authority of Jesus is real. Because the authority of Jesus is the only authority that lasts. If you are trusting in someone as the absolute authority in your life, It will not last. As a parent, God gives us some degree of authority over our children's life, but it does not last. And if they are trusting in us fully, then they have not answered to the God who has created them. If your spouse is the authority in your life and by marrying them you find your identity and your worth and they become the reason you do everything in your life, it will not last, it will fail. If some religious figure, pastor, priest, leader, is the authority in your life, they are who you look to for guidance, it will fail you and it will not last if you are trusting in tradition as absolute authority it won't last styles best practices methods they come and they go buildings they come and they go rituals and routines will come and they will go. They cannot be depended on. They will not last. If you are trusting in philosophy as an absolute authority, it will not last. Societies are formed around. Philosophies, they create documents that govern them and no society on earth will last. If you are trusting in a mindset, a way of viewing the world that that you and maybe a group of people have adopted apart from God, it will not last. If you are trusting in your feelings as the absolute authority, they will misguide you and they will not last. Jesus' authority is real. It lasts forever. And it is God's grace, listen, it is God's grace when you see this. It is God's grace when you see that a someone is not the authority. It is God's grace when you see that a philosophy cannot be trusted. It is God's grace when maybe things get disrupted in your life and only in that moment do you recognize there is one authority that lasts, that is Jesus. In our culture, And the wealth we have and the opportunities we have, it is easy to go from authority to authority to authority without ever really dealing with the issue of who has real authority. But it is only Jesus. And so if you know this, yo, know it. And live in it. If it's God, live in it. Believe this, see it, experience it. When Jesus came and taught, they said, this is a new teaching with authority. When he healed the man, they said, wow, this is a new teaching. Here's why, here's why they say this. Because rabbis, these are, these are spiritual leaders who believe they can cast out demons, would have to do some kind of ritual. Now, that wasn't prescribed to them in the Bible, but that's what they had decided they had to do. They came up with some kind of routine to do this where they would say God over and over again, or they would write scripture in a certain way, or they would go through some certain motions or do some certain oils, and Jesus says, shut up, and he does, because that's the authority that Jesus has. When Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says, don't pray with meaningless repetition like the pagans do. You see, this was a spiritual climate they went into. And there were all kinds of rituals that would go with prayer. And if they wanted God to do something, they would say like, whatever God's name is, it was usually Baal. And they would say it in a bunch of ways, Baal, 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 Baal. And they would just like gather groups of people and they would be going, Baal, 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 heal, 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 heal. And they would face in a certain direction to do it. And it's Satan it a certain number of times a day. And Jesus says, your father knows what you need. Just ask him. He's got the authority to do what you need him to do. Just ask him. You don't need to do all those rituals and pray all those ways and have those candles and have the, f- and have the light. You just need Jesus. Amen. He has that kind of authority in your life. And so you're tempted to think, man, I need that pastor for this to change in my life. I need that pastor. I need that priest. I need that leader. Nope. You're tempted to think, man, for this to change in my life, I need this tradition. I need a church to be this way. I need to sing songs this way. Nope. Uh, The more modern way is we need energy in the room, and we need the experience, and I need to leave church feeling this way. Nope. We tend to think things about our life and say, I need all these answers before I can have victory and before I can do this. No, you need Jesus. That's all you need. That's all I need. He has all authority. We don't need to pray in a certain way, sing in a certain way, have certain answers. Jesus has the authority over everything. That should be our focus. That should be the focus of this church. That should be the focus of our lives where we exalt Jesus Christ as the authority and we trust in him. And if he's not our authority, and he's not your authority, you should be afraid. You should be afraid of what's going to happen in your life. And you should be afraid of when you die. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And when you realize God's power and God's authority, and what he did in the person of revelation of Jesus. You shouldn't have any fear. Because listen, second thing, unclean spirits cannot live where the spirit of God lives. Unclean spirits can't live where the spirit of God lives. We'll talk about this in a few weeks but Jesus is casting out demons and the religious crowd comes and says, hey, uh, you're doing that by you're casting out a demon because you're a demon. You're casting out devil's guy because you're the devil. And Jesus is like, "Well, that doesn't make any sense." Because why would Satan stop Satan? <laughs> he said, "No, actually what's happening is I'm going in and I'm binding up the strong man and I'm kicking him out. That's what I'm doing." Often in America and in other countries I've been to, people come to me and they say, I think I'm possessed by a demon and, and you know it's causing me to do these things. And I ask them, are they a believer? And they say, yeah. And I say, then you're not possessed by a demon. Yeah, I am. Well, then you're not a believer. The spirit of God is in you, Christian. That unclean spirit, that demon, has no authority over your life. Now, you can let some of his stuff in But he doesn't live there. He doesn't take up residence. And you might say, well, why do I still struggle? And I've I've said this before. When we were living in Crestview, uh, we moved houses because we had four kids in our house. I mean, we had them in the hospital and not in our house, but not there's anything wrong with that. But uh, sorry, (laughs) Uh, however however you're a mama, that's fine. Um, But... so we moved houses because we, we had no kids when we moved into the house and then had four kids really fast. We felt like we needed a bigger house. And I remember one day, I was, we lived there almost eight years and so I was driving my normal, you know, leaving a meeting place, driving and I drove back to my old house not even thinking about it and as I pulled up, I realized I don't live here anymore. That's what it's like when a Christian sins. We're still gonna do those things but we realize this isn't my home. This isn't where I live. And you know what? When someone brings up your past, and I would even say, if someone doesn't have to do it, you just like scroll social media and you're alone with your thoughts and this is how I know spiritual warfare is real because then you begin to feel these things and it, and it throws up your past. You know what you say? You say, rob that house. I don't live there anymore. That's not where I am. Jesus has delivered me. He has given me victory. And yes, I may struggle. But any time that creeps up in me, I have victory in Christ. And this is the good news of Jesus. Not just that he is the person and revelation of Jesus and that reveals his authority, but in Jesus, we have the authority of God. In Jesus, we have the authority of God. We have his word And we have his spirit, which illuminates it, helps us to see his word, and which inspires us in how to live out his word. So I got a little more fired up than I planned to, but man, this is good. Jesus has authority. Almost all of us would either agree with this or say, yes, this is a good thing. So then let me ask you this. Have you submitted to the authority of Jesus? His authority is the one that lasts. If you believe that he has this kind of authority, then are you submitting to his authority in the direction your life takes? Yesterday I met with a guy in our church. He's, he's, he's praying about making a decision about his career and Just weigh in the different options. There's a lot of things to flesh through anytime we do that often, but he's like, James, I just want to live my life for God. I just want to do what God wants me to do here. I'm just trying to trust in him. How encouraging. Like, do we really make our decisions about where we'll live and what job we'll take and if we'll take that promotion and whatever it may be with that in mind? as if Jesus has this kind of authority. When it comes to our marriage, who's the authority? Is it the picture of Christ in the church that Jesus has for us, or is it what I feel like I deserve? Or what I have read? Am I dying to myself in this marriage, or am I looking out for myself? Who is the authority in this marriage? when it comes to parenting i'm just floored by the number of bible believing christians who really studying the word of god and their children studying the word of god and being a part of biblical community doesn't matter look i'm not anti athletics i'm not anti academics But so many of you watching, probably not even here today because you're at some travel ball tournament. Place that as the authority in your life. And your children are going to grow up with a lukewarm understanding of who God is at best. But they got a scholarship. It's fine. But not at the expense of Jesus being the authority in our lives. When it comes to money, nobody wants a preacher to talk about money because people want to do what they want to do with their money. It's, it's my money. Don't tell me what to do with it. I'm not. It's God's money. He's telling you what to do with 100% of it. I'm not telling you to give the church 100%. That's not what I'm saying. But what I was saying is he's the authority. We make all decisions about how we view money, tithing, because he's, it's his Whatever it may be in our life, even when things aren't going our way, like when things aren't going our way, are we trusting in Jesus or are we saying, Jesus, do what I want you to do? Is he really the authority, even when it's hard that he's the authority? And, and this isn't simple, doesn't change overnight, is it easy. Last week we talked about the fact that Jesus called the disciples to, to follow him, and, and Justin pointed out very well that, you know, they didn't fully understand what that meant. And, and so they're following him, and as you read on their life, like over and over again, we'll see this in the Gospel of Mark, like Jesus does something, they're like, oh wow, you're the Son of God. And it's like, you didn't know that when he cast out the demon? You didn't know that when he walked in water? And the whole point is that that's what God does in our lives. As we trust him, the more we trust him and see him as the authority, we realize you really are the authority. You really do have authority. You really are the son of God. And so we live our lives to that end. And so will you live your life to that end? In John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching with authority And it tells us in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed And have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Many say, in our culture, God, if it interferes with the desires we have for our lives, the desires we have for our children's lives, we're going to go when Jesus says that. And so Jesus, the question is, will you go also? And a Christian says, to whom else will I go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You have authority. And so we submit to you, Jesus, because we trust you. For my children, my goal is that of all the voices they would hear, I would be a loud voice in their life because they know I am for them and they can trust me. God is perfect and he is for you and you can trust him. So trust him. The invitation today is whatever area of your life that you are not submitting to him in, trust him maybe change, evaluate, maybe maybe meet with a few people who you respect and say, hey, do you think I'm leading my family well? Do you think I'm seeking to honor God with my life? And remember, when you see that pride coming up and that obsession with success coming up and that propensity to sin coming up and that defeat coming up, in Christ, we don't live there anymore. We don't live there anymore. And when those feelings come up trying to rob you, rob away. I don't live there anymore. I'm with Jesus. And maybe today, Jesus isn't the authority in your life. And Jesus is the person in revelation of God. And all will acknowledge that he is the authority one day. But what I would say to you today, as you think about him being the authority, the person in revelation of God, realize what he did. He came, he died on the cross so that all of us who rebel against him could be made right. And he rose from the grave, promising us resurrection life. Pray with me. Jesus, I pray that there's somebody here today that is believing in you, is submitting to you for the first time, Lord, that they would not leave today without talking to the friend or family member that they came with, that they would come and talk to one of the pastors, that they would text the number that's gonna be on the screen at the end of the service, God, that they would just believe in you. If there's somebody here today who's wrestling through some of these things and they need somebody to talk with, that they would would do that because they want you to have authority, and that we would all examine every area of our life and ask, is Jesus the authority? And if not, I repent, and if so, I double down on living for him and trusting him. Have your way in our hearts this morning, and have your way in our lives this week. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.